Let's give a hand to our worship team. That just sounded fantastic, and I hope that you're blessed at home. Uh, one thing that I do if uh, I, I get a chance to hear some songs that really bless me, you get a chance to replay uh, our, our worship, and it would be awesome if you did that throughout the week. I know that I'm so touched by the words that they share and the heart and energy that they give to this worship every week. And as Philip said, it is a bit difficult for them to do it to an empty room, but we are so thankful for the talent and passion that they all bring to this. And if you are interested in, in joining in, and there's so many different things that you can do, even if you don't have a skill in playing, playing an instrument, please email philip at glendale.church with one L. We'd love to have you join and participate in what we are doing here. One update that I wanted to provide, we as a church are prayerfully considering uh, a move to a sort of in-person service. Uh, we haven't quite figured all that out yet, but starting in the beginning of October. Currently, numbers are getting a bit better as uh, concerning coronavirus in California. A couple of things would have to happen for us to open back up at the beginning of October. First, Governor Newsom would have to allow us to. That has not happened yet. He unveiled a new plan about reopening some things, and churches were not on that um, list yet. And he's a little more strict with the guidelines because when we reopened last time, things got really bad. And so we want to be careful and listen to um, scientists and authorities who are giving us information on what to do there. And then as the numbers continue, if they continue to go down in a positive direction, we would plan on having services in. But please just pray for us. And I want to extend um, thanks to all of you for participating so well online and just being so gracious and thankful. I know that there are differing opinions on this. And I have some pastor friends who it's really hard because they have some really, really angry church members who are emailing them all the time. And I simply don't have that. So thank you uh, for being you, even if you have a differing opinion. I think we should have opened months ago. Um, I'm thankful for you giving us grace and uh, your love during this time. As we begin in prayer, I can't help but uh, be touched again by racial injustice in our world and what happened in Wisconsin and uh, Jacob Blake. I think of our brothers and sisters of, of color within our church community and uh, my friends of color beyond that as well, how as a white male, I often don't have to face or feel the same amount of pain um, as I know my brothers and sisters are feeling again. And we as a church stand against racial injustice in all kinds of forms, and we extend love and, and grace and, and prayers to Jacob Blake as he recovers, to uh, his family, um, to the city of Kenosha as there's still tension in that place and really just around specifically our nation, but all around the world as people are asking some really hard questions right now. And I hope that we always live with a bit of this tension, that we need to be extremely proactive in how we love people who are different than us. And one of the things that I think scripture teaches us is that injustice is something that should bother us and we can't just be ignorant to it. The fool in scripture is not someone who's not intelligent. It's someone who just blissfully ignores important things. And we don't want to be that as a church. We want to be people who continue to seek solutions and continue to be part of creating a better world that actually looks like the kingdom of God. So let me say a word of prayer as we open this morning. God, we are thankful for the worship already. We're thankful for the songs that remind us that you are worthy. We need your holiness right now. We need you to lead us. 
We pray that we would be part of the solution in our world to racial injustice, that we wouldn't look the other way, that we would enter in, that we would be extremely empathetic and compassionate to our brothers and sisters right now of color who are hurting. May we hurt alongside with them and continue to walk humbly in this time. God, we pray for your justice to come more and more as that song just said, you are alive and we need you to lead us. We need your eyes to see people. We need your love to infuse all of us because that is the sort of love that changes the world. We pray that your kingdom would come more and more that our world would look like heaven. We, in the way that we love people who are different than us, would set a standard that you call us to. That we would be holy, that we would be set apart in the way that we love those who especially right now are hurting. I pray that you would lead our nation as we heal together and as we seek better solutions. We pray for the tension that exists right now, and I pray in some ways that it'll never leave us, that we continue to understand that this is something that we need to be active about and not just sit on the sidelines of. You are alive, and your spirit calls us forward and calls us to be better. Your son, Jesus, in my pray. Amen. Let us continue now in worship as we remember the God who leads us even during this difficult time. the sun 
Something that I forgot to mention as I was speaking about possibly reopening services in October is that we will be continuing our live stream. So if you don't feel comfortable coming, we totally understand that and support you in that decision. We will be continuing our, our live stream uh, moving forward so you can participate with us wherever you happen to be watching from. So as I think about uh, Racial injustice coming up again this week as I um, am thinking about this, especially as, as a, a white male, what it looks like for me to be an advocate and an ally. I admit to you that at times I think, 
how do I know if I'm doing enough? How do I know if I am being part of the solution? What does it look like for me uh, to show Christian love during this time and during this season? And sometimes it's easier to just not ask those questions because then you can just let yourself off the hook a little bit. But I think that what God is calling us to actually is relatively simple. And a question that I think Jesus would ask us is very simply, are you serving in love? That's a question I'd love for you to think about this week. Christian love, very simply, is service. Are you serving in love? It's maybe more simple than we try to make it at times. My friend Rick is a minister in Texas, and when his son was six years old, he was in a Bible class with several other six-year-olds, and the teacher was trying to get them to do something. And as six-year-olds often do, Rick's son was off doing something else, and the teacher came over to correct him and get him back with the group. And this six-year-old pastor's son said, I don't have to mind you. My daddy is the boss of this church. Wasn't a great moment uh, for preacher kid history. The teacher asked for some time to talk with him and then his dad, Rick, and they had a conversation about how if you are leading in any sort of organization or you are a Christian, whether you're leading a church or leading any sort of other organization, you are called to be the servant of all. And he remembers the son looking at him like, why would anybody want to do this? And I think it's still true. Why would anybody want to do this? Why would anybody choose the way of Christ? Why would anybody choose to selflessly give of your gifts? And at times we get caught up in the ways that just the world is, how things are in our world, and we don't remember who it is that we are called to be. We have some company there with the disciples. We're doing our Bible study on Wednesday nights, looking at the Gospel of Mark. I would invite you to join in with that. We're, we stream the Bible studies on YouTube, and we've been starting in the middle of Mark because we've gotten through the first eight chapters. So I'd love for you to join in. A passage that we're going to be studying uh, over the next few weeks that I was looking at, I thought was just perfect uh, for our series this morning. In Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35, there's this conversation that is extremely revealing. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. And this is amazing. This is a moment when I definitely feel like if I was a kid, I've asked this kind of question before. Teacher, we want you to do whatever for us, whatever we ask. So just set him up. We just do whatever uh, we ask. And the conversation uh, keeps moving. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let us each one sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered, even though they have no idea what he's talking about. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup, which is a reference to suffering I drink, and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is, is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've already been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John because they didn't think of it first. Jesus called them together and said, 
You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the things about the Gospel of Mark that you'll notice is the disciples just consistently don't get it. They're confused about exactly what Jesus means as he talks about his death, yet he talks about it over and over and over again. And so this is a long way into Jesus' ministry. The disciples are saying, hey, let's talk about who's going to sit at your right and your left in glory. And Jesus just does a face palm and is like, this is not what I'm about, guys. All right, let's gather everybody together. Let me teach you about this one more time. What I am going to do, I'm going to try to tell you this one more time, is I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. I've come to serve, not to be served. And we can read those gospels and think, how are the disciples so dumb? How do they keep making the same mistake? How do they keep missing it? But after 13 years in church work, I know we still miss it and I miss it from time to time. There was a great church consultant who was uh, my teacher in graduate school named Charles Seibert. He passed away a few years ago, but he had worked with churches of different denominations in all sizes, so huge churches and small churches. And he sat with us and he said, guys and, and girls who are going into ministry, let me tell you about what every church conflict is about. Every problem that you are ever going to have in a church that's very big or a church that's very small. Every fight I've ever seen in any church is over this question. Who's the boss? And it's not the TV show, uh, Who's the Boss? I read an article that said definitively that who's the boss on that show is Alyssa Milano's character, apparently. Uh, and I don't know if you know the name of that character, you can put it in the chat. But that, that's what people say definitively the boss is. But that is the fight of any church of any size. Who's the boss here? Who's going to make this decision? I think I should make that decision. I think I should make that decision. And it's heartbreaking that this guy, after years and years of church consulting, says every argument I've ever seen comes down to that exact question because I think that breaks Jesus' heart. Because Jesus wants to gather us together and say, guys, that's not what this is about. I have come to show you the way of service. I've come to show you that this is about sacrificial living. This is about you giving of yourself. I think many of us, if we've been in church for any amount of time, we've probably heard this story before. But it's so important to remember, this is who we are called to be. Jesus says, come here, come and listen to me. It can so easily get about personality conflicts or your vision for the church versus that person's vision for the church, but this is not who you are called to be. So stop arguing about it. You are called to serve. And you're called to serve in love. You are called to serve sometimes when you feel like you are serving more than the person next to you. You're called to serve even at times when you don't think that your service is being reciprocated. You're called to serve when you feel like you're giving 110% and that person's giving 30. 
And that doesn't mean that maybe you don't have to have a, a conversation with that person and maybe win them back to give more of their effort. But don't serve in hate or out of anger. Serve in love. I think about uh, my marriage and generally after dinner, the plan is I will do the dishes. I've mentioned this before. I'm kind of a freak about the dishes and, and cleaning the kitchen. And while I am doing that, my wonderful wife is bathing and taking care of our kids before they go to bed. We have a story time after that, but she's taking care of bath time. Now, which of those jobs is more important? Very clearly the bathing and taking care of the kids. Because if she's ever gone, I do that, and then later I do the dishes because you're taking care of, of two live human beings. So that is clearly more important. And I'm so thankful that my wife isn't keeping score. And then, you know, that was worth, you know, 100 service points and your dishes are only worth 50 service points or whatever. Because the problem is, if you are keeping score, everybody loses. If you're keeping score about, well, I took care of two kids and you only washed, everybody loses. We are called to serve, to consistently serve, to serve in love. And you bring some great gifts to the table and that is fantastic. I love how Peter says this in 1 Peter. As he's writing to the New Testament churches, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This is such a profound thing that Peter is saying. He's saying each of you have gifts that you bring to the table. And tell somebody next to you that they have a gift, even if you don't believe it. Just tell them, I believe you're gifted. I believe you're talented. Nobody told me that, so I guess I'm just going to keep going. No, each of us have gifts. Each of us have talents, and that's amazing. I'm so thankful for those who are able to put this live stream together, the talents of our worship team. It is unbelievable, but I I'm telling you, at times, that feels like a very difficult thing. It's hard to come up here and, and practice and to continue to do this. It is selfless to give of your time. There's conflicts that happen in church at times. You have to continue to give your gift. We call people to continue to do this. And it's hard because you don't always get filled by this work, especially during this time. One of the great things about our church is that we come together and we, we are a family. So oftentimes you get a, a pat on the back and somebody says, you know, nice sermon or, or great like drum solo there or whatever. And we don't get that right now. So it feels in some ways like you're throwing rocks into the ocean right now. And hopefully that somebody somewhere is getting blessed by that. So it's hard, especially during this time. But to be part of a church during any season is to say, I'm going to choose to selflessly serve. I'm going to choose to continue showing up and I'm going to serve in love. And that means I'm not going to look to my right and to my left and think about who should be serving more. I'm not going to do the who's the boss thing. And that's hard because you have a unique talent and a unique gift. And one of the problems with that is with your unique talent and your unique gift, you can start to judge others who have different gifts than you. So perhaps you're really organized and you see somebody who is not so organized. And it's easy to get frustrated by that person and to say, oh, I can't believe that you're not more organized or that you aren't doing this in the exact same way that I would. Some teaching has been really helpful. I've been looking at the Enneagram. If you haven't heard of that before, I'd love to uh, connect you with some resources. It helps you to think about what spiritually drives you. And one of the core teachings of the Enneagram is the best thing about you is also the worst thing about you. 
Because the gift that you bring to the table is precious and it's valuable. But when you start to judge others in the world by your gift, you get off track. Are you using your gift and serving in love? When I was in college, I was over at a, a girl's apartment because, of course, I was at a girl's apartment. And while I was there, we had some dinner, and then we were playing a board game. The living room was right next to the kitchen. And as we were playing that board game, one of the girls who lived in the apartment, I'll um, protect her name. So um, in case someone ever watches this, we'll say her name was Alice. And as we were playing the board game, Alice started cleaning very violently in the kitchen. She's banging pots and pans around and doing the cleanup of the whole dinner. And one of the girls in the apartment said, Alice, are you cleaning mad? And the answer was yes. She definitely was uh, cleaning mad. And I resonate with that because at times I have cleaned mad myself. I confess uh, to that. You have a gift that you are called to give the world, and that is awesome. Please use it in love. And again, that doesn't mean you don't at times need to say, hey, you know, I feel like you need to pick up some slack over here. But that conversation needs to be had with that person and not about that person. If you are going to live into the reality that Jesus calls us to, you would gather us on the road and say, hey, don't think that your gift is any better than anyone else's. And Peter says something that is, is very profound and I think something that is very convicting here, that if you aren't using your gifts in love, then you aren't a faithful steward of God's grace. That's a pretty hard word, isn't it? If you aren't using your gifts and, and doing it in love and understanding at times that not every moment it's going to be perfectly reciprocated by someone else, and you aren't being a steward of God's grace. Because we love the fact that God's grace is for everyone. That it continues to be for us even as we struggle, even as sometimes we do the wrong thing. We're thankful that that's for us. But could we show the same to other people? There's a, a phrase in church that I think is just terrible. People talk about if they move to a new place or they're just looking for a new church, they'll say, I'm church shopping right now. That is so maddening because if you're shopping, you are getting the best deal possible. You might go to several stores around town and you want to get the, the best value for your buck. And that is not at all who we are called to be. We're having this argument on the road and Jesus wants to gather us together and say, this is not who you're called to be. This movement was based on someone who gave his life as a ransom for many, you are called to serve in love. You're not called to serve only in the place that looks like the best deal to you possible. This is a movement that is based on people giving their lives away. To the disciples and to us, Jesus says, come on, this isn't who you're called to be. Serve in love. If you want to be a really great husband, serve your spouse really, really well. If you want to be a, a good child, serve your parents well. Oftentimes as we have relationships 
with people and we get perhaps frustrated with them. We're tempted to just withhold our gift from them, to withhold the gift that God has called us to use. But may we use those things abundantly and graciously because that's who God has called us to be and that's who Jesus was. When you look at Paul's writings, it's pretty fascinating to see the development that he has over time because he wrote these letters over several years. And in one of his first letters, he writes about how he's a super apostle. And I get why he's making that argument because he wants to put his stake in the ground and say, I'm a pretty big deal. Perhaps you guys spent a little bit more time with Jesus, but I had this encounter with Jesus and it was a transforming moment and Jesus gave me this word. So I'm pretty much on par with the the important apostles, those who you consider to be very sacred. So he's kind of making this argument, like you should listen to me because I am a super apostle. I'm up there with like the most important ones that you know of. In a later letter, he writes, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm in the crew, I'm hanging out, but I'm not one of the elite. In a later letter, he says, I'm least of the saints, which is a word that he uses to describe church people, which is a calling that we all live into, because you probably feel like, oh, I'm not a saint, but that's what Paul says. Paul says, you're called by God to be a representative of God in the world. You are a saint, but Paul says, yeah, I'm, I'm at church, but I'm the person who stands in the back and really not that important, just barely got here. And in his last letter, Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. Because in spiritual growth and maturity, you slowly learn that you fall short. So Paul goes from calling himself a super apostle to the worst of sinners. Because that's what growth looks like. It's downward mobility. It's not upward. And when we feel sinned against or when someone hurts us in community, it's tempting for us to say, I'm just going to withhold my gift because it's hurtful at times to give 110%, feel like you're the only one. But Paul would say what's important to recognize is that you, that I, am the worst of sinners We are broken, that that person who you're dealing with, that person is broken too. And may you be abundant and generous in how you love your church and that person with your gifts because God has been abundant and generous with you. This is what our God is like. So don't you dare spend years cleaning mad. Because yeah, you got that gift. That's great. Please, Use it in love. Serve the world in love. Oftentimes we don't recognize that Jesus was Jewish. And he was considered at his time a Jewish rabbi. And there were other rabbis who people had thought were the Messiah. And so there's this anticipation as Jesus' ministry is building that he is the one that he's going to take over Rome and all of this great stuff is about to happen. But he is a rabbi. And so he gathers his group of disciples around him. And in that time and place, you have to know that there was this custom and and way that rabbis were approached. They were considered to be the most important and sacred parts of their community. And so if you were a Jewish boy, 
you would go through classes until the age of 10 called Beit Sefer. And in Beit Sefer, you would memorize the Torah, which are the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that's a lot, and it's a lot of pretty boring material. But these boys, if they made it through Bet Sefer, not everybody made it, but if they made it through Bet Sefer by age 10, they had those first five books memorized. And at that point, those who were considered to be the best of the best of that group would enter what was called Beit Talmud. And in Beit Talmud, from age 10 till about age 16 or 17, you would memorize the rest of the Old Testament. Just look at how many pages that is. That's 780 pages in this Bible. So by the age of 16 or 17, you have the entire Old Testament memorized at the end of Beit Talmud. At the end of Beit Talmud, then if you wanted to pursue it, you could apply to be one of the rabbi's disciples. And it was a very intense test. He would test your knowledge and understanding of the scriptures, your interpretation of the laws. He would ask you for random verses in the Old Testament. And you'd have to tell it to him on the spot. And if you were good enough, you got a special calling. But most of them didn't. Most of them would hear from the rabbi because they only would have about 10 to 12 of these students with them at a time. And not everybody made it. The rabbi would look at most of them and say, you obviously love God very much, but this isn't the calling that God has placed on your life. But for those who did make it, and this was the most important thing in a Jewish community, those who made it into that very small circle, the rabbi would look you in the eye and say, come follow me which makes some sense of passages like Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. This is the calling of the disciples. At once, they drop their nets. If that passage has never made sense to you before, it's because these are magic words in that world. These are fishermen who probably dropped out at Beit Sefer, maybe didn't even make it to the end of that. They're just working class, not considered to be elite. And this rabbi says these magic words, come follow me. And at once they drop their nets. At once they say, I've never heard something like this before. You want me to be part of of this? There was a saying that developed around the teachings of the rabbis and these communities. And again, just think of other groups like Jesus and his disciples, 10 to, to 12 students who are just learning as much as they possibly can from these rabbis. There was a saying that developed, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be so close to your rabbi, that the dust from his sandals comes onto your clothes. May you pattern your life after your rabbi so much that the dust of your rabbi is on you. And I would encourage us all 
to think about what it looks like for us to follow our teacher, Jesus. May the dust of our teacher, Jesus, be on our clothes. May we recognize that it is a constant posture of humility. It's constantly saying, I have something that I still need to learn. And if I'm going to allow Jesus to lead me, then I am going to serve. Because Jesus, over and over again, is we can easily have who's the boss discussions in, in all forms, at work, in your neighborhood, at church, we can fall into that pattern so easily. Jesus calls us back and says, come on. This who isn't who I've called you to be. This isn't who you're supposed to be. Don't argue about this. How many times do I have to explain to you guys that it is about death and sacrifice? How many times? This isn't who you're called to be. As we think about racial injustice in our world, the difficult recovery from coronavirus in our world, just the hard things that we faced in 2020. May we, as we come out of this, be covered in the dust of our rabbi. And may we recognize the only thing that truly changes the world is selfless, consistent love. You can change the world through power and force, but what you're actually doing is just forcing the people below you to do exactly what you would want. Selfless, consistent love is the thing that still changes the world. And that's why Jesus continually needs to call us back and say, guys, girls, this, is who, this isn't who I've called you to be. Stop arguing about that. Here we understand that Jesus has given his life as a ransom for all of us. So as we mature more and more, we give our gifts abundantly and freely in service to the world, not looking to the right or to the left, because that's who our rabbi, who our teacher calls us to be. Maybe recognize that we are called, as we come out of this difficult season of 2020, to serve in love. And it's a simple but important thing that we must never forget because Jesus teaches us that selfless, sacrificial, consistent love changes the world. And praise God, it still does.